Let's, can we just take about five seconds and just give the Lord an unbelievable amount of glory and praise and honor? I'm telling you what. I, I was here yesterday, and, and ladies, did y'all enjoy yesterday? Did y'all enjoy yesterday? Amen. I, I, I tried to stay. I tried to stay, but my wife wouldn't let me. She said I made her nervous, so she made me leave. And uh, But what I got to see out of it is incredible. It kind of made me nervous. Once Tammy got the mic, she'll never be the same. Amen? Amen. But I think there was a lot of tears, a lot of laughing, uh, a, a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, but a whole lot of healing. Amen? Amen. We this is uh, Melinda did an incredible job, and and I am so thankful for her ministry. So thankful for all the volunteers. Nothing of that caliber goes off by itself, you know. And I, I want to do this. I thank you so much for loving on my family and uh, and appreciating Tammy. Uh, but the truth be known, uh, there was tons of volunteers that made that happen, and I thank God for every single person that that, that got involved and 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 volunteered to make that happen. So can we just take a second? and give everybody that, that, that helped made that happen a, a, a hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Man, it is an honor and a privilege to be here today, especially uh, with the guest that we have that's going to speak. It's kind of it's kind of going to be an Edwards weekend. Miss Melinda uh, is Brother Craig Edwards' daughter. He's one of my one of my heroes of the faith. He helps me uh, immensely. If I have a Bible question, I don't hesitate. And it's crazy. I don't care what time of the night it is. It could be eleven o'clock at night. He could already be in bed asleep. He'll wake up and I say, Brother Craig, over there in Second Chronicles chapter four, verse seven, it says this. What is that? And he'll go giving a breakdown of what the am I wrong Brian am I wrong and, and just an incredible man of God and he he raised an awesome family Mel, uh, Melinda is his daughter uh, she spoke yesterday and ministered to our ladies and we have the opportunity today to have brother Brian Edwards uh, from Hope Church in Danville Virginia he's one in Virginia actually you're a North Carolinian right I mean you're you're Tar Heel right Okay, all right. But uh, uh, Brian is Melinda's brother. He is one of my best friends. I, he, he is an encouragement to me. When I get down and, and, and I have things that, that I struggle with, I'll call him and vice versa. And uh, 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 we have, I'll be honest with you, that song, that song uh, that was just played, uh, that is a reality that we've been through together. Uh, me and Brian's been through a lot of hills and a lot of valleys, right? Through, through together, and, and encourage. everybody needs somebody, amen? And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to give Brian an old-fashioned Temple Baptist, Coleman, Alabama welcome. Welcome him, and, 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 and let him know you're glad he's here today. Amen. All right, buddy. Love you, It's great to be here today. It's definitely my, my honor to be here. Uh, to call Pastor Malcolm a friend is an understatement. Uh, I thank God for him, his investment in my life. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And there are very few people in our lives who qualify as iron, and yet Pastor Malcolm is one of those people for me. And, you know, there's, there's all the, the cliched statements that evangelists frequently make with regard to a pastor, you know, the best is yet to come. And, and there, there's several other statements like that, you know, where, where a pastor receives accolades in hopes that the evangelist is going to be invited back again. 
But uh, my statements about Malcolm are sincere, and uh, he is a precious friend to me. As a matter of fact, if, if my life ends before his, uh, it is actually in my will that uh, he's, he will be the one who will preach my funeral. So I think that makes a statement about how I feel about him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, you know what we need today. You know what the Holy Spirit would speak to us today to challenge us and to change our lives. Lord, you speak beyond my ability. You say what is left unsaid. God, I pray today that we wouldn't attend another church service, but that today, by the power of your Spirit, we would be forever changed, and the change that will take place in our lives today will be so real that this community and this region will never be the same. We pray that in Jesus' name, and the church would say, Amen. Amen. The only way a person can be rescued from their lostness and avoid spending an eternity in a place called hell is to have an encounter with Jesus. That means the most desperate need of every human being on the planet is to have an encounter with Jesus. Now, there are things that would qualify as basic needs, food, shelter, water, clothing. And yet, I would say to you that Jesus is far more important than any of those needs. I spent uh, several weeks in Africa. I encountered people who had virtually nothing. They, they didn't have nice clothes. They, they, didn't really have, they didn't really have a roof over their heads. They had very little to eat. As a matter of fact, when I was there, they were actually celebrating that it was termite season because they will rob those big termite mounds. They will cook those and eat those for protein. They were celebrating that. And yet, when I was there, I had to constantly remind myself their greatest need is Jesus. And if I allow them through me to encounter Jesus, then the greatest need they have will have been met. More important than health, money, possessions, experience is your need for Jesus. As a matter of fact, our need, humanity's need to encounter Jesus is so important. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 asks this highly confrontational question. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Meaning, if you have everything... If you have every experience, if you taste everything, if you feel everything, if you see everything, and you own everything, 
but you fail to have a life-changing, soul-saving, eternity-altering encounter with Jesus Christ, you have lost it all. And I know it's easy for us to envy people like Bill Gates. And I know every magazine in the grocery aisle highlights the celebrities of our culture and the billionaires of our culture. And it's really easy to look at those people and to envy them. But can I just say to you today that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and they don't, you are exponentially more wealthy than any of those people that you would envy on a worldly standard. And yet if a person leaves this planet without having had an encounter with Jesus, they've lost it all. And that means encountering Jesus is the single greatest, single most important thing that can happen in a person's life. And here's what I think happens. I think we affirm that truth with a loud amen. I think we agree with that. I think, as a matter of fact, today, if if I would ask, by a show of hands, how many of you believe the greatest need of humanity is to have an encounter with Jesus? I think virtually every person in the room would lift their hand. But rarely do we wrestle with the question, how are the people around us supposed to encounter Jesus? In John 14, 28, Jesus himself said, I'm going away. I'm going back to the Father. Jesus himself said to the disciples, I'm no longer going to be physically with you. This short, brief amount of time that you've had to walk with me and talk with me and and to rest with me and to eat with me and to spend time with me, that time is, is going to end because I am going away. Jesus is not on the earth any longer. He isn't walking the streets of Coleman, Alabama. He isn't touching the blind. He he isn't touching the broken. He, He isn't standing by gravesides in cemeteries and raising the dead to life. But yet, that doesn't change the reality that the greatest need of humanity is to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. But how is that supposed to happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Just this phrase. Now you are the body of Christ. Would you just say that regarding yourself? I am the body of Christ. I am the body of... Just say it one more time. I am the body of Christ. For some reason... We've made that a title. We, we, say, we speak that in a church setting as if it is a title. I am the body of Christ. It's how we refer to ourselves. And if we aren't careful, we, we'll see it so much as a title that we completely exclude the fact that it is a responsibility. As a matter of fact, 
I believe it is more of a responsibility than it is a title. I believe it's less who we are and more what we are supposed to do. Who we are supposed to be. The body of Christ. Jesus is no longer here. So he has me and you in his place. We are his body in his absence. And when people encounter us, they are supposed to encounter him because they have encountered us and we are the body of Christ. That means the body of Christ is in the factory where you work because you are there. The body of Christ is in your children's sports leagues because you are there. The body of Christ is walking the hallways of the school where you're receiving your education because you are there. The body of Christ is in your local theater, your local grocery store because you are there. And when people encounter you, they encounter Jesus because you are making Jesus visible through your life. I've been wrestling with a question, it's this. If Jesus in his body gave everything to reach the lost, why would Jesus in my body and your body do anything different? Why, why is it that we are failing to see an obsession among the body of Christ for the people in our communities to encounter Jesus through our lives? And so we're supposed to live as the body of Christ. We're supposed to live with a constant awareness that the most important need of every single person we meet or talk to is to have an encounter with Jesus. And the only way they're ever going to have that encounter is if they see Him in us. How many of you ever read the Bible and and a scripture literally changes your life? You see the verse, God makes the verse real to you. You can't escape it. It stays on your mind and it's as if through that verse you feel God the potter shaping and molding your life. That happened to me when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. We all know the beginning. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Are a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. How many of you are glad for the day when Jesus Christ allowed the old to pass away and the new to arrive? 
I heard somebody a little while back, and they gave a horrible analogy. They said salvation is like Jesus taking an eraser and erasing the blackboard and writing a new story. I said, no, because even when you erase the blackboard, you can see the imprint of the old writing on the blackboard. Jesus didn't take an eraser and erase the blackboard and began to write a new story. No, Jesus gave you an entirely new blackboard. He began to write an entirely new story. The old has passed away and the new. Well, that's come. Thank God for that. All this is from God who through Christ Jesus reconciled us. God brought us into a right relationship with himself through the work and the power of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you don't understand the word reconciliation. That is a large word. How many of you have ever seen two people who are, who are upset with one another? There's division between the two. And, and, and neither one is, is going to make the move to make things right. Neither one is going to be able to connect with one another. There's a a barrier between the two of them. And so someone decides to step into the middle of the mess, the middle of the situation, and bring the two together again. That is reconciliation. You and I were separated from God, hopelessly separated from God, without any hope of being able to reach God. Because of our sin, God could not accept us. And there was no human on the planet who could live a sinless life. So Jesus, in order to identify with us, became a human. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And someone asked me the question uh, sometime back, why do you think they spread Jesus' arms apart on the cross? And I said, so that with his right hand, he could reach out to God. And with his left hand, he could reach out to us. He took the hand of God and the hand of humanity and he brought the two back together again. That is the ministry of reconciliation. That's what happened through the person of Jesus Christ. And so it goes on to say, That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So think about this. The reason humanity hated Jesus was not because Jesus was a bad person. It's not because Jesus was a violent person. It's because Jesus revealed to them their need for a right relationship with God. And they despised that about the person of Jesus. But it was in Jesus that God was begging the multitudes, come to me. It was in Jesus that God was saying to humanity, you need me, you need a right relationship with me. Come to me. And I I get that. I totally get that. I see that and, and, and I understand it. Yes, I understand that through the perfect person, Jesus Christ, God was drawing the world to himself. I, I can believe that. But then it goes on down to say that we are ambassadors for Christ. The word ambassador literally means we are representing Jesus Christ in his absence. And then this is the part of the text that forever changed my life. 
it goes on to say that God is making His appeal to the world now through us. God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry that Jesus was carrying out, God's now given it to us. And that means wherever you are, people are supposed to realize through your life that their most desperate need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of God. Jesus is no longer here. And Christ is now, His Spirit is now in us. And through us, Jesus is begging the world to come to Himself. That's the ministry that God has given you and me. Does that blow anybody's mind? And for some reason we read a text like this or we hear a text like this, but we we don't live with an urgency to make Jesus visible. And it's not because we don't understand visible. If any generation that has ever lived on the planet should understand visible, it should be our generation. Because our generation is living in a culture that gives us more opportunities to be visible than any other culture that has ever lived on the planet before us. No other generation has ever possessed the tools or the technology to make their identities and their interests available to the world in just a matter of minutes. No other generation has ever had access to a fully functioning computer equipped with a camera and a video recorder that can be held at all times in the palm of their hand. No other generation has ever had that before. And people love their cell phones. Can we, can we just be honest? How many of you admit you love your cell phone? Let's be honest. As a matter of fact, we would quantify that now as a basic necessity. We have to have our cell phone. I can prove that Americans love cell phones. Do you realize nine out of every ten Americans have a cell phone? A little while back, we were doing homeless ministry in Philadelphia, and we were down in the subway passing out food, and every single homeless person we handed a sandwich to, they were charging their cell phone in an an outlet in the subway. They don't even have a home. They don't have a change of clothes. They they didn't even have food for the day, but yet they had a cell phone. Americans love cell phones. 92% of all Americans have one, and no other generation has ever had that before. No other generation has ever had a platform called social media where people can capture the moments we're glad they shared, and the moments we wish they had never shared. How many of you think there should be classes for people who don't know how to use social media so they will understand what is appropriate and what is not? What did we do before we stayed home and played? Baby, I can't believe you wore that. Like, What did we do before then? I don't know. What did we do before we said, they think they have everything. Just look at them. Their kids are perfect. What did we do before that? No other generation has ever had social media. 
And because we have a cell phone and because we have social media, we understand what it means to be visible. And the way we're able to make ourselves visible has changed our lives and the world forever. How many of you are going to be honest? How many of you, your cell phone is the first thing you pick up in the morning? Would you raise your hand? All right, can I just be honest? The Bible doesn't say that picking up your cell phone first is a sin, but it does say lying is. So I'm going to ask the question one more time. How many of you, your cell phone is the first thing you reach for in the morning? Wow, wave of honesty at the church. We've just had revival. How many of you can say it's the last thing you put down at night? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. How many of you, your social media is what you wake up to and your social media is what you go to bed to? Would you raise your hand? You check your Facebook. Yeah, that's the way the world lives now. We're checking to see if people, if they're acknowledging our visibility. Everybody's a photographer. Everybody's a videographer. Everybody's a reporter. Everybody's self promoters and everybody's self-proclaiming their identities. It's a proven fact. The most popular apps, the most popular websites are those apps and websites that make it possible for us to be incredibly visible. It's a proven fact. There's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Snapchat, there's Facebook, maybe there's even three people uh, over 65 who are still having a great time on MySpace with the 10 people who are still there. <laughs> but all of these social media platforms exist so that people will know who we are, what we're interested in, who we're celebrating, what we're eating, where we're going. All of those platforms exist to increase our visibility. We understand visibility. I can prove that. How many of you want me to prove it? I can prove it. I even brought along a few pictures to prove that. And uh, for just a minute, I guess this is going to make me seem like uh, the weird Facebook stalker guy. Uh, what can I say? The struggle is real. Uh, how many of you recognize this picture? This is your own Mandy Ward. And uh, Mandy Ward, and she... Uh, it looks like she's somewhere out of the country. I, Siri couldn't exactly locate that place, but it, it seems like Mindy is incredibly happy to be there. Uh, how, about, how about this next picture? Who's that? Andrew and Tracy. It looks like they're at the Biltmore Mansion. They're all smiles. They're having a great time. They're communicating to the world. We are at the Biltmore Mansion, and you are not. <laughs> how about this next one? Yeah, there's Dustin Phillips and the family there. Dustin, of course, being the techie that he is, he even checked in. He's in Newfound, North Carolina during that picture, which would have meant it would have been a great time to rob the Phillips household because they weren't home. And then I, I'm pretty confident you're going to recognize this next one. Malcolm's the only person I know who can post a picture of him holding an ink pen and writing nothing on a piece of paper and get 250 likes. I don't even get it. But yeah, he was, he was proud of this. I mean, you can tell by 
by the smile on his face. And then I thought it wouldn't be fair just to show him this picture. I thought we should show him with the love of his life. This is a picture of Malcolm with the love. No, 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 that's not. Is that the love of his life or do we have another one? Oh, yeah, that's better. That's better. And I really don't, and I really don't blame people. I even brought a selfie of my own. I didn't think it would be fair to show all the others. And so, um, what can I say when, when the lighting's right, the moment's right? Why are y'all taking, why are you laughing? I don't get it. I thought that was a good picture of me. By the way, my wife never says amen or praise the Lord. I showed that picture at the church and I promise from the front row, she said, I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, she, she broke out in spontaneous worship. She was like, living on a prayer. I mean, she was wishing. But the truth is, we understand visibility. We understand what it means to make ourselves visible and we take advantage of every opportunity to do that so why in this culture that understands visibility are we failing so badly to make the person of Jesus Christ visible in and through our lives you know we've we've attacked our culture for being so godless. But how visible is Jesus in the living room of your home? How visible is Jesus through your marriage relationship? How visible is Jesus through your workplace attitude? How visible is Jesus through your, your acts of compassion or service? How visible is Jesus even in the sanctuaries of most churches in our nation. Do you know why we make ourselves visible? Because Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are our greatest treasure, and Jesus is not. That is the disease of the Christian community in America. We're not taking advantage of the opportunities we have to make Jesus visible, and that has to change. Now, I, I don't like to travel. I'm a homebody, but I end up doing a lot of traveling. Over the past few years, I've been, I've been all the way from northern Maine and Canada to Florida, as far west as California, through the middle of the country as far as Idaho and South Dakota and I've been just about everywhere in between. And I've seen a lot of notable things and a lot of memorable things. But as we were traveling in small Bible Belt towns and large cities, it wasn't what I saw that gripped my heart, but it was what I didn't see. I started talking to my wife constantly as I was traveling about the absence of Jesus. Stop and think about it. 
right now, would you just mentally reenact your day for a moment, what you see, what you hear, where you go? Stop and think about how little in this culture looks like Jesus. When you go to the theater to watch a movie, do you see Jesus? When you watch the television, do you see Jesus? When you go to school, do you see Jesus? When you are at your workplace, do you see Jesus? How many of you admit there is very little of the identity of Jesus in America today? How many people believe that? Very little of the identity of Jesus. I've been overwhelmed by the absence of Jesus, and we are the only ones who can change that. And so my reaction to the absence of Jesus as I was traveling was the typical Christian reaction. People need to do more to make Jesus visible. And as clearly as I'm talking to you, I believe Jesus through the Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm not talking to you about people doing more. I'm talking to you about you doing more. How many of you realize Jesus is not bashful? He will have face-to-face conversations with you. You remember when Jesus brought Peter by the fireside. It's interesting, isn't it, that Peter denied Jesus by a fireside. Jesus built another fire so that he could have Peter by another fireside and give him another opportunity. Jesus confronted Peter face-to-face about the fact that he... Peter was all about Jesus when it was convenient. But he did everything in his power to deny him when knowing him was inconvenient. I think that sounds a lot like us. It's inconvenient to be the high school girl on the cheerleading squad who is passionately in love with Jesus. It's inconvenient to be the employee who wants nothing more than to glorify God in your life. It's inconvenient to be the person who's labeled a follower of Jesus Christ because even in Alabama, it is no longer acceptable to be passionately in love with Jesus. And so we have learned to celebrate Jesus in a room like this and leave and live exactly like everyone else. And then we complain about the disappearance of the identity of Jesus in our nation. That's what Jesus has made real to me. Uh, Pastor Malcolm often says that I ask the hardest questions And it's because that's how the Bible relates to me. I feel like through the scripture, God asked me questions. And this is the question I believe Jesus asked me. If people seeing me, that's Jesus, depended solely on you, that's me, Brian, how many people would have any hope at all of ever seeing Jesus? If people seeing Jesus depended solely on you, how many people would have any hope of seeing Jesus 
Let me ask the question in a little different way. Please listen to this. If Jesus had represented God in his day in the same way you're representing Jesus in your day, how many people would have truly known about God? His love, his forgiveness, his desire to save them. Charles Spurgeon realized the heaviness of this truth. And that's why he said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. How many have ever heard of the famous comedy duo Penn and Teller? Anybody ever heard of Penn and Very famous. Penn Gillette is a part of that comedic duo. He is a very outspoken atheist. Listen to what he said recently on national television. He said, if you really believe in heaven and hell, and you really believe it's real, how bad would you have to hate someone not to tell them about it? That's an atheist. How bad would you have to hate people not to tell them there's a heaven and there's a hell? Man, that grips my heart. That, that weighs on me. Does anybody else feel the weight of that? The greatest need of the people around me is to have an encounter with Jesus. And the greatest need in my life is to make Him visible through my life. And we've blamed everyone for this. We are great at blaming. Christians blame the world. Christians blame other Christians. People, uh, Christians blame um, liberalism. Christians blame the political system. Christians blame the corrupt society. This is not a world problem. This is a Christian problem. This is not a political problem. This is a Christian problem. We are the only people on the planet equipped and empowered to make Jesus visible. And the reason that's not happening is because we're not doing it. Let's just be honest. It's not a Hollywood problem. It's a church problem. We're not making Jesus visible. And I want to close with this. For so long we've lived camouflaged Christian lives. The identity of Jesus is completely hidden and we're not even impacting the places where we are. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are a city. You're set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're a shining city on a hill. Everybody is supposed to see your light. That's why Jesus saved us. So we could light up the spaces where He's placed us. We're supposed to, we're supposed to show His attributes. We're supposed to continue His message. We're supposed to carry out His mission and reveal His love. That's what we're supposed to do. And and I know we intellectually acknowledge that and we agree with that. But we don't need it to be intellectual. We need it to be practical and we need to live this out. 
Jesus promised his disciples in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not, it, it might happen, or if you want it to happen, it will, or if this is what you, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Why isn't Jesus making us fishers of men? Why is it we claim to be his disciples, but he's not making us to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. That's what Jesus does with all of his followers. And how can we continue to say we're saved and not live to make Jesus so visible that when people encounter us, they encounter him? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, and I'm finished. If our gospel be hid, It is hid to them that are lost. Would you stare at that for just a moment? If our gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives, the good news of how he saved us, the good news of how he restored our home, the good news of how he delivered us from drug addiction, the good news of how he... he reached into our brokenness and redeemed us and put our lives back together again. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. You know what that means? We have no problem making Jesus visible when we're among other Christians. But we have a serious issue making Jesus visible when we're among those who need him most, the lost. When I was working on this book, Visible Jesus, which I didn't write because I excel at this, I wrote because I feel horribly convicted about my failure. I wrote a segment about this verse, and it simply reads, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 is one of the most challenging verses in all the Bible. It is a strong reminder of a convicting truth that we would really rather ignore. The Christian life would be so much more convenient if the reality of this one verse didn't exist. In the King James Version, the Bible reads, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Every time I read those words, they leave me feeling heavy-hearted. They bring me face-to-face with my failure. I don't want to admit that I'm guilty of hiding the gospel. I even ask myself, how could I do something so horrible? The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and salvation is what the world needs to escape hell, so what would make me hide it? I ask myself that question, and immediately my deceitful heart looks for a way to avoid the truth. My heart says, Brian, you do share the gospel. Every time you preach, you point people to the gospel. My evasive response is, yeah, right. I do. I do talk about the gospel. I pray and give thanks for the gospel. I even sing about the gospel. So yes, I'm sure there are people out there who may hide the gospel, but not me. Then I hear God's Spirit speak over the self-reassuring pride of my heart. And it's when he calls me to examine Paul's statement that I have to confess. Yes, I do hide the gospel. I don't hide it when I'm among Christians. but I do hide it when I'm among the lost. 
I'm going to show you one final picture. This is an aerial satellite view of Asia at night. Look to the left. You'll see China with all of its bright lights, large cities. Then in the center, there's South Korea. Look how bright it shines in the darkness. And then to the right, there's Japan. And you see its large coastal cities and how bright the light shines. But if you come back to the center of the screen and you look just above South Korea, you'll see this one large dark spot with virtually no light at all. And that's North Korea. There's no light in North Korea. I want to leave that picture up and I want you to realize something. The darkness in South Korea, in Japan and China, is no different than the darkness in North Korea. The darkness is the same. The difference is the light. Does your workplace look any brighter because you're there? Does your home look any brighter because you're there? Does your community look any brighter because you're here? We look spiritually like North Korea. And the only thing that's missing is the light that could impact the darkness. And Jesus calls us to be that light. We're to make Jesus visible. I truly pray you will stop by today and pick up one of these books. I I can be honest and say I need you to. I believe this community needs you to. I'd love to put pressure on you and say that your pastor wrote the longest endorsement in the book, which means you should really get a copy. But more importantly than this, I pray you'll leave today and you'll feel convicted to make Jesus visible. Let's stand. Pastor Mike.